on 14. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Forty Going on 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh, and this week we watched Coming to America, where way back when we all saw Eddie Murphy and we're like, wow, he just played 15 characters. That's awesome. No way that'll ever get old. <laughs> it it hit sometimes, and sometimes not so much. I would say it worked in this, and then we got the clumps. Or Norman. Every other movie. Norman. We got the clumps sounds like something else. Norbit. Yeah. I got the clumps. Norbit, Norbit. yeah. You get some cream for that. The Norbit. nutty professor. Norbit. When your bit is so played out, they uh, parody it on Tropic Thunder. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, not everybody always produces gold. Not everybody can be Harrison Ford. If you like Harrison Ford, you might like the shows on the Geek Life Radio. On the Geek Life Radio? Well, it's probably the Geek Life Radio. You'll find all things Transformers. You can hear it it in the America. You'll also find the HTML All the Things. On the interwebs. Of course, Geek Life Radio's own Rad Dad Radio Hour. The Smorgasbord. They're coming to America. I don't even know what that was. That was not it. Yeah. So uh, if you're looking for more of this, you can find us on uh, iTunes, Blueberry Stitcher, Tuckshoe. You can find us all over the place. Amazon. Spotify. Put us on your Spotify list. Go to Podchaser. Leave us a review. Go to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. Communicate with us. From Amazon with free shipping. Yeah. You can order your very own Patrick. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Steve, what the I'm, I'm here to please you. Please don't tell him how I live. <laughs> My Patrick was damaged in shipping. No, no, he <laughs> wasn't. And that's how they come. My Patrick seems to be missing something. <laughs> oh. And if you'd like to leave us a comment, give us a call at 708 now wrap. That's 708 669 9727. I have a Furby where my private should be. <laughs> what is happening? What the hell does that mean? Hi. I love you. Don't don't look him straight in the eyes. He considers that a challenge. I will okay. catch you. Okay, uh, I think on that note, it's about that time. This week in music, movies, and TV. And Lawrence. All right, so this week we are going to June 29th, 1988. The release of the original Coming to America. All right, so music. The number one song in the land was Dirty Diana by Michael Jackson. Great followed song. by Foolish Beat by Deborah Gibson. Well, I don't know Debbie that song. You know, I'm a pretty big Michael Jackson fan, and I'm actually not a huge fan of the song Dirty Diana. Really? Yeah, I think I'll, it's a little bit overrated myself, too. Although there's a great hard rock cover done by a band called Shaman's Harvest that I think is actually way better than the original. But is Slash in it? No, Slash is not in Shaman's Harvest. Well. He, he's not in every hard rock banjo. 
that you fact, he's not of. most of them. <clears throat> I don't know. If he shaves that head, you might not recognize him. He's actually uh, John Oates. <laughs> Little known fact. I did not know that. He's actually three John Oates standing on t- each other's shoulders wearing a <laughs> trench coat. Getting into the movie, the R-rated movie. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Wait a second. Are you John Oates trying to get into Guns N' Roses? Oh, he got us. Darn it, you got I me again. You. That one sounded like two John Oates and a Patrick. <laughs> and that's what I ordered. <laughs> All right, moving on. Hillel Slovak was an Israeli-American musician best known as the founding guitarist of the Los Angeles rock heart back Hekker Hashnifer. Then Joel had a stroke. I don't know what happened there. Let me try that again. Hillel I think he was Slovak down with sickness. Was an Israeli-American <laughs> musician best known as the founding guitarist of the Los Angeles rock band Red Hot Chili Peppers with whom he recorded two albums. His guitar work was rooted in funk and hard rock, and he often experimented with other genres, including reggae and speed metal. During his career, Slovak developed a serious heroin addiction. He attempted to quit many times, but died of an overdose on January 25th at age 26. Several Red Hot Chili Pepper songs have been written as tributes to Slovak, including Other Side, Knock Me Down, My Lovely Man, This Is The Place, Dosed, and... The acronym of the week, F-O-T-F. Pretty sure that's farts on the face. <laughs> it's a really inappropriate place to put that. But I think you're right, actually. Is he right? No, that is, that is not farts on the face. That is feasting on the flowers. Oh. oh. Fart on your face, something, something, California. <laughs> <laughs> Coming to America. Whew. Poor Hillel. But on your face, now I'm on a roller coaster. <laughs> this, this, this chili pepper thing is easy. This is. I eat it in an out burger. I love it even most. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a hit. We got it. We got this. Let's sell it to him. Print, it. print it. Run it. We're done here. What happened to 40 going on 14? They got a. Cease and desist from the chili pepper. It's for the weirdest reasons. I thought you were going to say we got signed as writers for this. At this point, it's, at this point, that's better than dang it to dang a dang a dang dang from that. Uh, what song is that? No, no. Kid Rock? Not Kid Rock. It's, uh, it's a chili pepper song. <laughs> now it's a Seinfeld episode. Oh, I know what he's talking about. I forget the yeah, song. Yeah. He literally is like, bing, 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 bing. That's it. That's offensive. Yeah. See, Josh gets it. No, I know 100% what you're talking about, but I can't remember the name of the song. It's, that's bing, the name bong, of the song. Bang, bang, bang. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tribute to Hillel. Song is, here's some racist shit. <laughs> it's a tribute to Hillel. what he used to say when he was high on heroin. <laughs> Hello, this is Anthony Cadis. Cut that shit out. <laughs> Flea shows up with two other nihilists. <laughs> oh, shit. Now we're in yeah. Oh, God. Here we go. That song right. is Around the World. Oh, okay. On a roll. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. And now, finally, it's, now I actually think it is offensive because of, is he really just like doing an accent from around the world? No, I think he just forgot the lyrics. That's what it sounds like to me. That's actually yeah. more, more plausible. And finally, Patrick was very excited about this earlier. Eddie Cleanhead Vincent was an American jump blues, jazz, bebop, and R&B alto saxophonist and blues shouter. He was nicknamed Cleanhead after an incident in which his hair was accidentally destroyed by lye contained in a hair straightening product. Music critic Roger Christgau has called Vincent one of the cleanest and nastiest blues voices you'll ever hear. He has a double-sized hit in 1947 with his R&B chart topper, Old Maid Boogie, and the song that would prove to be his signature number, Kidney Stew Blues. Vincent recorded extensively during his 50-odd-year career and performed regularly in Europe and the U.S. He died in 1988 from a heart attack while undergoing chemo. The Red Hot Chili Peppers wrote a song about him called Clean Head Pow 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 Pow. That's so stupid. All right, moving on to movies. Not a, not a big long week for movie trivia this week, but uh, the number one movie in the land was the only movie released other than coming to America this week, which was Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which knocked off Red Heat in the number one spot. Time to feed Parakeet. I mean, that's a pretty big week, like for a, a week where the our whole movies is just like these two came out. Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Coming to America is a pretty big week. Please, Eddie. Well, they probably saw all the other uh, studios were like, we're not going up against those two. An Eddie Murphy movie at that, in 1988, an Eddie Murphy movie. Um, Then Roger Rabbit, which had been hyped for how long? We can push it back a week. We don't have to go this week. Who who Framed Roger Rabbit is the answer to a great trivia question. We'll put Soul Man out next week. Oh, God, yeah, let's hold off on Soul Man. That'll be our tent pole. <laughs> What's that? Who Framed What's Roger Rabbit is uh, the answer to one of my favorite trivia questions, which is, okay. what's the only movie where uh, Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse appear on screen? Yep. Oh, that's cool. Ready Player One? Nope. Oh, I don't know. I haven't seen it. What is wrong with you? Yeah, Pat, what's wrong with you? <laughs> bang, 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 bang. <laughs> Clean head. R.I.P. That's kind of a dick move. Is the guy gets his scalp burnt by lie, and one of his buddies gives him the nickname Clean Head. Uh, I could see you guys doing that to somebody you know. Yeah, I 100% was going to say it's yeah. amazing we don't have some kind of nickname for Joel for shaving his head. I mean, we do. We just don't let him know what it is. And if Joel had burned Shh. off his hair while trying to apply soul glow, we definitely would be making a name for him. Yeah, yeah there would one hundred percent. Yeah, he would. Yeah, yeah. Nah. All right. So TV top shows in the land were Cosby Show, Roseanne, A Different World, and Cheers. Yep, that tracks. Nineteen eighty-eight, folks. I can smell the sweaters. And uh, at the never hit all. That's what was in the sweater. This sweater. My, my pudding pops making me sleepy. <laughs> We're not going down that road. Uh, on the <laughs> yeah, Why is Walton Goggins being uh, targeted by Bill Cosby? <laughs> Walter Goggins? Walton Goggins. Walton Goggins? 
Yeah, he's an actor. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know who he is. He's in okay. the movie where they try. They, I, I want to see uh, Fat Man. Jake and the geek? Fat Man? No, not Jake and the Fat. Well, uh, Walt, Walton Goggins, the kid hires him to kill Santa. Sweet and brown shoe. All right. On the 15th Daytime Emmy Award presentation held on June 29th, Susan Lucci lost for the ninth time in a row. But not the last time. <laughs> yep. By that point, it was a bit. They weren't going to drop the bit. How about we nominate her and don't give it to her again? How many times did she lose before she finally won? Now, like 14 or something. Yeah, I think it was 14. Yeah. Yikes. Why would she? At that point, I would stop showing up. Yeah, but then the one time she doesn't show up is the time she wins. So she's like, damn it. She starts showing up in sweatpants. <laughs> old old torn up shirt. She's wearing a wife beater sweatpants and smoking a cigar. <laughs> she sends George Clooney in a wig. 19, 19 was the answer? Woof. She Good. finally yeah. won it in 2013, it looks like. There's some trivia for you, Pat. And her acceptance well, speech was, thank you so much, kiss my ass. It wasn't 2013. It was 1999. Oh, okay. The, the article that I was looking was published in 2013. You were okay. close. On June 30th, for reasons unknown, Sledgehammer aired its last show. I watched that show. I remember that. I did too. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was stupid but fun. Tyler, yep. you guys, you guys like that show more than I did. I don't hate it. Same, yeah, same here. I'm, I'm right there. I don't hate it, but I don't think it's great. I don't Meaning. think it would hold up, but I haven't seen it since 1988. I mean, it's no Briscoe County Jr. Well, oh, but... we can agree on that, yeah. yeah. Uh, on June 30th also, Brooklyn dedicated a bus depot to Jackie Gleason and his role as bus driver Ralph Cramden from The Honeymooners. Was there like an ad on it for like spousal abuse or what? Like, you know, if you need help, call this number. I mean, he didn't really actually ever hit her. You do know that, right? It was a bit. Oh, you missed that episode. <laughs> On a very special Honeymooners. Right? It I is mean, a we, weird we, look. Because, we do like, threaten to kick Joel in the nuts all the time, but we never actually do it. That doesn't mean we're abusing him. We abuse him in other ways. True. Yes. The ways that don't leave marks. <laughs> like beating him with a bag of oranges. Right. In my bathing suit area. <laughs> and write a song about it. That's not abuse. You love that. I don't care what you say. We hit Joel with a bag of oranges. Down, get down, get down, get down. California. R.I.P. It is a little strange, though. Like, I, I get what Joel's sort of getting as. Like, Jackie Gleason, yeah, his it's an iconic role, but the character's not such a nice person. And it's the character, not the actor who's a bus driver. Like it's the whole, the honeymooners bit is that Ralph Cramden is kind of a piece of crap, but he was also a bus driver. That was, I mean, that very much was a part of his identity. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, so I guess, you know, in a way they're acknowledging, Hey, maybe not all employees are great, but you know, at least they have pride in their job. I don't know. <laughs> when you yeah, think bus drivers, think shitty person, Ralph Cramden. <laughs> I mean, he's much more than just. I mean, looking back on him now, he's yeah. Obviously, he's not exactly 
politically correct, but he's still one of the iconic sitcom characters of all time. Oh, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Oh, for I sure. And I wouldn't take anything away from Jackie Gleason. It's just weird that, like, I wouldn't have a nuclear reactor that is dedicated to Homer Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> well, would you have one ded- dedicated to Slim Pickens? Oh, oh. That is actually topical for reasons we will get into shortly. <laughs> all right. Moving on to sports. On June 25th, Cal Ripken Jr. played his 1,000th consecutive game on the way to his still record 2,632nd consecutive games played. Wow. Yeah, that is, that's still, I, I think that's one of the unbreakable records. And that's like without injury, that's with. Yeah, like never missing a game, like just playing every single game. <laughs> There's 82 cool. games in a season, so yeah. I don't think. I I've mean, no, 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 no. That's, that's the NBA. There's 161 games in an NBA in an MLB season. So that's that's like a decade and a half without missing a game. That's crazy. Good for him. And lastly, Mike Tyson versus Michael Spinks was a boxing match which took place on Monday, June 27th. Both men were undefeated and each had a claim to being the legitimate heavyweight champion. At the time, Tyson held the belts of all three of the major sanctioning organizations the World Boxing Council, the World Boxing Association, and International Boxing Federation, while Spinks was the Ring and Boxing Illustrated magazine champion, regarded as the people's champion. It was, at the time, the richest fight in boxing history, grossing some $70 million, of which Tyson earned a record purse of around $22 million and Spinks $13.5 million. Tyson won the fight, knocking out Spinks in 91 seconds. Jesus. <laughs> oh, I remember people were mad because the pay-per-view for that fight was not cheap. Yeah, that was one of the first. It was like, think, I think it was like forty nine ninety nine, you know, back in 1988. Yep. And before the two-minute mark, it's done. I mean, there were people that complained because they, they went to the kitchen to get another beer. But, you know, like, oh, yeah, let me settle in. They come back and the fight's over. <laughs> <laughs> what could happen in the first two minutes? <laughs> I mean that was right in the in the in the height in the in the the apex of Mike Tyson's just destroying all his opponents. Yeah, that reminds me of like we were when um, the Bulls won their first championship. Remember they were down by two at the end of the game, and then what's his name went up with a three pointer and made it for them to win. Oh, uh, John Paxson. Yeah, yeah, yeah Paxson went for the three pointer at the end with like. Six seconds on the clock, my dad gets up and he's like, Yeah, they lost. And he goes in the kitchen to get a beer and he makes the shot just as my dad crossed into the kitchen. And <laughs> the whole neighborhood went nuts. You can hear people screaming and yelling out of their houses and all that. I just hear my dad in the kitchen he goes, God damn it. <laughs> and that was a regular occurrence from 88 to 93 with the Bulls, where there were wins with the very last shot in the last two seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had a lot of dramatic wins. They were a fun team to watch back then. Yeah, they were. All right. Is that it? That's, That's it. it. Play us off, keyboard, Joel. Da, 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 da. California! Okay. So, back in 1988, Coming to America, the first one was released. The loving story of an extremely pampered African prince that goes to Queens, New York to find his wife. Because Queen, 
Where else would you find one? Um, this one was directed by John Landis. If you don't know that name, shame on you. Uh, it's a, it's another one of if you if you don't know that name, why are you listening to this podcast? Yeah, right. If you if you don't know that, you're on the wrong show. Uh, Blues Brothers, American Werewolf in London, uh, trading 12, places. Yeah, trading places. Uh, wasn't he uh, Honey I Shrunk the Kids too? He's done a little bit of everything. Yeah, he's been all over the place, yeah. But uh, directed by John Landis. Written by Eddie Murphy. Story, the screenplay was put together by David Sheffield, uh, who also did The Nutty Professor and Boomerang. Huh. All right. And then Barry Barry Blaustein, who did The Nutty Professor, Boomerang, and something called Beyond the Mat which is a wrestling documentary. I've heard of Beyond the Mat. Yeah. I have nothing else to add. I've just heard of it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, but uh, this stars... Oh, also, additional crew, the choreographer for this movie, was a one Paula Abdul. Ah. Yeah. Dug through that. We have... Paul Bates playing Oha. And that voice did not match up with what I was expecting from that. <laughs> right. I did not. Then, I mean, I wasn't expecting the bassiness. I wasn't expecting the, the singing and all that, but he really surprised, yeah. Yeah, surprised the heck out of me. Uh, Eddie Murphy as Prince Akeem, Clarence, Saul, and Randy Watson. Sexual chocolate, baby. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Garcelle, Bouvier, 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 Bouvier. Well, she was one of the rose bearers. Now she didn't have a really big part in this, but the only reason I put her in is because one of the other uh, things to her credit is "Girl in the Water Tower" from Wild Wild West. Huh. That's like one of this and that are the two things at the, the top of her IMDb. I just thought that was neat. Uh, James Earl Jones as King Jeffy Joffer. Madge Sinclair as Queen Aeolian. Sheila Johnson as Lady in Waiting. Uh, she was the one that was barking like a dog. Oh, yeah. No. no. Lady no. in no. Waiting is constantly in the limo with them. Uh, one of oh. them who's barking like a dog is uh, uh, General, not General Izzy, Colonel Izzy in the first movies. Imani Izzy. Yeah, Imani Izzy, yes. Okay, yeah. So, okay, sorry, yeah, that's I got the mess of Bill Calloway. Yeah, missed that one. Sorry. That yeah, she's and she's the one that was in Shakedown. And she stopped acting after 1995. So, good on her. Arsenio Hall as Semi Morris, extremely ugly girl and Reverend Brown. Creepy Reverend Brown. The Lord. Can I get any man? Amen. Him can I and man can make the pictures of these women, but God, God makes my ladies turn around and let him like, like somewhere. And he has hand in making this. Yeah, that was. Yeah, yeah he, he's my favorite character for Arsenio Hall in this. Oh, he's a riot. Uh, also in this, we have Kelvin Lockhart. 
as Colonel Izzy. Uh, he was in Predator 2 as the gang member King Willie. And Joel, he was in Wild at Heart and in Firewalk with me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I knew I recognized him from somewhere, so I ran to IMDb. I was like, okay, yeah. Yeah, she was all, he was also in a movie called Let's Do It Again, starring Sidney Poitier and Bill Cosby from 1975, nice. where he played Biggie Smalls. Huh. That's wild. I that's, wonder if that's where uh, Biggie took his name from. Almost certainly. Could have been. Probably was. Hmm. Yeah. So, also, sorry, my mistake from earlier, Vanessa Bell Calloway was Imani Izzy. That's a dog barking girl. Uh, she's, <laughs> she's also been in uh, What's Love Got to Do With It, the uh, Tina Turner biopic, and the still Stallone classic, Daylight. Oh, I remember I that I haven't one. thought about that movie in a long time. I know, right? Jake Steinfeld is a cab driver. A oh. very young Cuba oh. Gooding Jr., as boy getting haircut. That is a fun, like, I recognized him immediately. I was like, holy crap, he was hardly in this movie, and he's huge. Mm-hmm. And then we've got Clint Smith uh, as uh, Sweets, who was the other, not Eddie Murphy or um, Arsenio Hall at the barbershop. But still in makeup. But still in makeup. And just as great. He's was also Leroy from 48 Hours, another Eddie Murphy, and then he was also in Airplane 2. Huh. Yeah, so he had a little bit of a dry spot in his career from 1993 to 2021 for reasons. But um, Frankie Faison is the landlord, who I thought was hilarious. I, he is awesome in, like, everything. Yeah. I mean, he was in uh, Do the Right Thing. He was in Maximum Overdrive. Joel, yeah. I love that movie. I know you do. I don't know why, but I do. We know why, because you like terrible movies. That would explain it. See? And uh, Ruben Santiago Hudson is a street hustler. Uh, he's known for this, and also for 2020's Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Oh, uh, yeah, I keep hearing about that. I, yeah, I do too. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I was. It was going through my head why Frankie Faison. Like, why? What is the big role I know him from? Because yeah, he's in a lot of comedies, but he also was a huge major role on The Wire. Oh, that's another show that I have on my list that I got to watch. You really yeah, do. It might be the best thing ever on TV. Wow. That, that's in, it's in my top three. I've gotten like six episodes in, and I. I I had, to, I had to stop for some reason. And oh, and you should have run into Frankie Faison in there because he's he's uh, commissioner of police, uh, Burrell. Oh, okay, yeah, I, yeah, one hundred percent. Okay, a John Amos as Cleo McDowell. I love John Amos. I really do. They missed out on such a great line for him on this because when he brought. Um, when he brought Eddie Murphy into his house, he goes, "We used to, when I was growing up, there were just nine of us living in an apartment no bigger than this room. And if they had just added him saying, those were good times. <laughs> it was I, probably too easy, though. I know. Yeah. The crazy thing about good times is when he was cast as the dad, he was only eight years older than J.J. Uh, Walker. J.J. Well, Walker. And he was 19 years younger than his wife in that movie. Wow. Uh, that show, rather. <clears throat> 
That's crazy. Yeah, I don't know how I came across that trivia. Maybe preparing for the show, but I, I just thought yeah. that was wild. It's the, re- the reverse May-December romance for Hollywood. But he looked, they looked approximately like, like she looked maybe five years older, not 19. You go back and watch Good Times. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he definitely looked older for his age. Um, we have also Allison Dean as Patrice McDowell. Uh, she has been in Speed 2 and Tears of the Sun. Not a lot going on with her. But her sister, Sherry Headley, played Lisa McDowell. Uh, after coming to America, she did such things as Goosebumps 2, Haunted Halloween, and was also in the TV series, 10 Things I Hate About You. So, Eric LaSalle as Daryl Jenks, which I've, I, I hate, I know he was supposed to be like the douchebag guy in this, the douchebag boyfriend, but I kind of felt bad for him. Why? By the end of it. By the end of it. Just like, I mean, yeah, he was a douche, but you know, I mean, he get tromped on by you know a guy from the son of a hair care, you know, giant, and then what? Only thing that could trump that would possibly be the prince of a African nation. And guess who walks into town? Right? Yeah, but he was an a hole. Yeah, he was also in ER from nineteen ninety four to two thousand and nine. Yep, and now he is making all sorts of successful dramas as the uh, showrunner for both Chicago PD and Chicago Fire. Yep. So good on him. A very young Louis Anderson is Maurice. And Samuel L. Jackson as holdup man who got last billing on the credits. Did you notice that in the opening credits? Yeah, well, he, he then, was nobody at the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the and now I just think it's funny. It's like like watching these, especially for, for the then for us, is seeing all these people that you know are huge now when they just came out. Yeah, hadn't um, made a name for themselves yet, really. Right. Uh, speaking of people who are not small at this time, Don Amici as Mortimer Duke and Ralph Bellamy as Randolph Duke, which means that. Uh, Prince Akeem looks just like the guy who bankrupted them. Yep. I love that trivia, and I love that they carry the through line for Colin Jost in the sequel. I know that's getting ahead of ourselves, mm-hmm. but I, uh, I, I thought that was sweet that you've got a clean line from Trading Places all the way to Coming to America, the sequel. Yeah. And they exist in the same world. That is true. Some other crazy things in here and uh, the credits. Jim Abrams as um, Abrams, Zucker Abrams, airplane fame, is listed in the credits as face on the cutting room floor. That's wild. Yeah. And even wilder, Joel, I'll put this in here just for you. Tobe Hooper. Toby. Toby Hooper of Chainsaw, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, was listed as uncredited party guest. I thought that guy looked familiar, but I'm like, you you wouldn't imagine that Toby Hooper would show up in a a comedy. Uh, and who, who the hell knows? He could have just been like walking by and then been like, hey, Mr. Hooper, you want to be on this? He's probably friends with John Landis. I think they came from that the makes same sense. school, you know, the same film school. Yeah. 
So some trivia on this one is after the makeup and clothing was applied for the Jewish character Saul, Eddie Murphy decided that he wanted to test things out. So he got on a golf cart and drove from one studio department at Paramount Studios to another. He got out of the cart and in his regular voice would introduce himself as Eddie Murphy. And nobody believed him. This is a good point for me to pay off what I talked about in this weekend uh, when uh, Patrick was mentioning Slim Pickens. Uh, Eddie Murphy was inspired to play a bunch of different characters because he's a huge fan of Dr. Strangelove. Seeing oh. them do that bit in Dr. Strangelove is actually what inspired him to do the same for this film. That's crazy. That's yeah, awesome I, and crazy. I had to make sure that it wasn't already in the trivia before I dropped that. But yeah. Huh. So some other uh, things on this one. Humorist and columnist Art Bookwald sued Paramount Pictures, alleging that they stole his script idea and turned this into this movie. He won the case and was awarded damages of $900,000 from Paramount. So there you go. That seems like a small amount. I was going to say, if that's true, they got away with like a bargain. Mm -hmm. They really did. Maybe it happened before it released and they didn't think it was going to, you know, didn't know how well it was going to do. Was that a settlement or was that damages awarded? That damages that was awarded? Oh, settled. Settled. Paramount settled. So basically, I guess he thought that he was going to win, but uh, if he didn't settle, maybe there would be enough on appeal where he wouldn't get close to a million dollars. So he figured I'll take the money and run. Yeah. Also, Cuba Gooding Jr. shot a scene in which his character, the infamous boy getting haircut, tells Clarence that he doesn't have the money to pay for his haircut, and Clarence responds by shaving a bald patch out of the boy's hair. <laughs> but unfortunately, they deleted the scene. So They also uh, shot him breakdancing because he was hired because he was an incredible breakdancer, and then they didn't use any of the footage. Aw. Yeah, other weird trivia. I randomly went on a deep dive for this one. I don't know why. <laughs> this is like me with guys, uh, yeah dukes of hazard you guys did your deep dives man uh john landis and eddie murphy apparently did not get along and then murphy vowed to never work with him again later on they reconciled and uh he said hey would you like to direct beverly hills cop three not only did they not get along john landis fucking punched him really yes huh over what I don't know, like, the specific incident, but, yeah, physical attack, assault, was mentioned in the fact that this this was the movie. That, it, that was a big deal at the time, because they'd been successful collaborators before, and it just came to a head. Wow. So, also, about 23 minutes into the uh, movie, during the airport scene, there is a voiceover from the uh, speakers the looking calling for a Mr. Frank Osnowitz. Mr. Frank Osnowitz, that is actually Frank Oz, who's normally in uh, John Landis's movies. Like, he was the uh, in the prison um, property guy in uh, Blues Brothers, yep. showed up in a couple other stuff, but he wasn't in this one, so they put him in in the voiceover with his real name. Used his name just to make sure he was still... <clears throat> Frank present. Oz was in there. And you can also, at the... Um, the subway station where um, ah, yes. Eddie Murphy gives the earrings to the old lady. There's a poster for See You Next Wednesday 
Yep. Dan I saw that. Yeah. So that's what I got. Uh, first question is as no- normal. Uh, is this a first viewing for any of us? No. Absolutely yeah. not. Not at all. Yeah. No, not even close. I didn't realize until I watched this movie again that as far as I'm concerned, this is peak Eddie Murphy. Like, I love Beverly Hills Cop, 48 Hours, all of those, like, classic. But this, as far as I'm concerned, is probably his best movie, for my tastes. I have to agree with you. I think this 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 hit a sweet spot between... Uh, uh, Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall at the peak of their careers, like the the top of the funny for the two of them, and the two uh, both of them in this movie gelled so well together that it. Well, I don't know. I, I can't. I'm trying to think of other Eddie Murphy movies, and I'm trying to think of something that might be better than this. Well, Beverly Hills Cop was good, but I mean, I like Harlem Nights, but like this was like right as he was starting to become so big, he was undirectable. So you've got him at his top, but not. To the point where he's like completely up his own asshole. Yeah, so this is a couple of years after Raw came out. Mm, no, I don't think no? so. No, uh, a couple of years before Raw. Oh, really? Because, yeah, Raw was big when uh, I was in high school. And this was, what, 88? 88, yeah. Yeah, and I had not graduated elementary school until 89. Uh, Raw came out 19... Oh, wow. 87. Really? Oh. I wonder yeah. if the big deal was another special, because I remember it was huge in high school that one of Eddie Murphy's things came to HBO, and I could have sworn it was raw. Delirious was 83. Huh. Mm. Wow, I got... I stand yeah. corrected. And I'm as surprised as you are, Joel. I mean, what about trading trading places? What about it? It's good, but I don't think it's as good as this. Not as good. Okay. I'm just trying to think of some other movies around this time that, uh, aside from the ones you've already mentioned. The Golden Child? That was a little later, yeah. wasn't it? Golden Child was a little later. Golden Child was... It, not as good as No, it, it was before. Golden Child, yeah, I was say, Golden Child yeah. was 86. What are you talking about? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I'm sorry. I don't have that tattooed on my arm, Pat. <laughs> well, you fucking learn his uh, CV or else. And at the time, I actually didn't like The Golden Child. Like, I would have to go back and watch it as an adult uh, to see if it gets near coming to America for me. But I remember when it came out it, and I watched it on VHS, I actually didn't like it. It's good, but it's not as good as coming to yeah. America. I it, enjoy it's it. It's okay. Yeah, I enjoy it a lot. But it's it's not as bad as, it's, as, as people say it is, and it's not as good as coming to America. Boomerang I enjoy a lot. I haven't yeah, seen the, Boomerang. I, I, th- I think coming to America, I think it might be right. It might be his best. Yeah, I mean, you can make a case for Beverly Hills Cop too. You can make a case for or Forty Eight Hours. Forty Eight Hours for sure. Yeah. But uh, for me, the, those are just barely edged out. And like, I love Harlem Nights as like the uh, black comedians, like I don't know, like mega star. If you had a super group yeah. for black comedians in the eighties, it's Harlem Nights. And this was before Dreamgirls, but I mean, I would just consider nowadays Dreamgirls his best movie, but you know, this was before that, obviously. Uh, let's see what else is around then. Uh, best Defense, Beverly Hills Cop 2, uh, then all the rest of the ones that you've already been naming. So. Yeah, so I, I, it's, it's hard to yeah. argue with that. 
That, so in the, in the modern era, you're not a, a fan of the Haunted Mansion, is what I'm hearing? <laughs> <laughs> Holy Man. Know. Holy Man's my favorite. Holy Man. Norbit. Guys. Norbit's too easy to pick on. Man, Daddy little... Daycare. Bowfinger. I like Bowfinger. I did, too. It actually made me laugh pretty hard. Yeah. It's a clever movie. Plus, you got Steve Martin. So... I'll take the rest of them, but that one, no. I would disagree. All right. So back to Coming to America. Yes. Yes. I I watched this with Laura last night, and I, uh, I'm not sure if I'd seen it more than once before this. I know I'd seen it before, but I'm not sure if I saw it any more than that one time. And I did not realize exactly how good this movie was until we were sitting there watching it. And I'm like, damn, this is a really good movie. Cause I, I liked it, but I didn't realize how just like well done. It is smart, funny, romantic. Uh, it's, it hits all the buttons. I was impressed. I was really impressed. And we know with the sexual chocolate connection that Patrick is a fan. Yeah, I'm a big fan of this movie. It's one of my one of my I'd say it's probably my top twenty five comedies. So yeah, big fan. And like you briefly just kind of alluded to, um I did have a a, a basketball team once named Sexual Chocolate. So yeah, I definitely I remember that well because I was on it as an anti ringer. <laughs> I remember that was during was that during uh intermurals? It was IMs, but it was after several of us were off campus. Like, I only right. played two games with sexual chocolate because I am not good at basketball. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pat, how far would this rank up your list, though? I mean, it, do you have them in order, or is it, like, closer to the top or, like, middle? Yeah, no, no. The, it, I'd say I, the reason I say top 25 is because it's probably around, like, 20, 22, 21, I think, if I remember correctly. But, yeah, I do have it typed out. Somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's on my computer. I know where it well, is, but it's just yeah. got an incredibly strong cast, um, and a smart script, and it just—it's kind of like everything just kind of fell into place at the right time. Yeah, the storytelling, like the characters are iconic, charismatic. Um, this is before, like I know I was dunking on the Eddie Murphy playing a bunch of characters, but th- it's super effective in this, both him and Arsenio Hall. Like it's clever when it happens. Mm-hmm. It's not it. It's before. Honestly, I kind of think that even in the Nutty Professor, that the uh, they were still kind of funny. The, in the first the dinner, one, yeah. In the first one, yeah. And then yeah, it, I know it just I became her. his thing. Yeah, yeah, I pick her with comedies that you guys are, and I, I despise the Nutty Professor, but I was a fan of the original. So, okay. No, and and Joel, I think you're right. It's, it was like a perfect storm of characters. I mean, you had. James Earl Jones, who is actually pretty damn funny in this, you know, you have uh, the the gelling of all the uh, cross worlds type uh, theme going on, and you know the hidden prince uh, situation, and everybody again, just I said it before, and these and the the stuff that I really liked, it's I really appreciate it when you get a cast and a crew and a team that everyone kind of knows that they're doing something great. Yeah. I think on I this think, one, they knew that. 
I think you hit the nail on the head. One of the key things to this is there's a lot of fish out of water comedies, but not very many that do the whole concept as well as coming to America. And that's the whole thing for this is that his life is so unusual to our own and actually kind of at odds with, especially in the eighties, the way Americans would have viewed Africa. Like the average American would think, oh, well, they're all like living in huts with spears. My and that's how was. Right. And that's yeah. a fucked up and inaccurate way. And they just go the other direction with their like ultra rich. I mean, in a lot of ways, Amunda's Wakanda before Wakanda. Yeah. It's not quite futuristic, but it's just like this fantasy of this incredibly wealthy kingdom. And his life is unimaginable as compared to ours here. And then he gets here and it's America that's the shithole. Yeah. And I think the other thing that is a, the thing is in a lot of fish out of water movies, you've got the main character who is out of water, but is plays it as I can't believe everything's like this. And they have to learn to accept that this is the way of life or they have to learn to accept, you know, whatever the big lesson is. I think the reason this one did so well is because Akeem as a whole was a nice guy. Akeem's character was very charismatic. You actually liked him in this and you know like when he when he steps out on the on the fire escape and you know hello my neighbors mm-hmm. fuck you yes yes fuck you too i mean he's so happy to be there he's like infectious with his positivity on it and you you get along for the ride with him and he, when uh he sees uh he sees the girl get into the car with a uh, greasy hair dude you know that you feel bad for him. I mean, it's, you know what the ending is, how the ending is going to come out. I mean, it's totally telegraphed. But I'm totally you with you. Oh. I was like, you don't care because you're along for the ride. Akeem is a great guy and you want to know his story. Uh, you hit something else that's super important for this. As I mentioned that America is portrayed as, as compared to Zamunda, kind of a shithole. But the important thing is Akeem never sees it that way. He loves this country and that's what makes it work. Like, right. if it had just been, like, the movie constantly bagging on America, uh, it would not have worked. People would not have accepted it. But Akeem comes, and he loves it. Mm-hmm. And that well, sells everybody on the concept. And one of the other things that was I found refreshing and nice about this is that they never played... Uh, there was never anything about race or, uh, you know... Because when you've got an all-black cast, especially at this time, you know, there's there's a tendency to kind of play the, you know, haha, you know, different races are funny joke. And it, you didn't have that. And uh, um, it was almost like it was it was colorblind in a way. Um, I don't know. It was. And yeah, everybody was there was not like a um, it wasn't a mean spirited comedy, even though there was mm-hmm. lots of swearing and nudity and other stuff. It was never mean spirited. And yeah, right. Worked in its I, I think I think you're right because frequently you'll see uh, even uh, made by and for black audiences. Sometimes you'll see even comedies will have like black pain on display as entertainment, which is fucked up. And you're right. There's nothing at all of that here. Yeah. Like there's no racial trauma as a, hey, let's get everybody invested in this. Well, they're not, they're not telling a message. They're telling a story. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is a message, but it's not that one because they're they're going against like traditions of arranged marriages, of being your own person and learning to carve your own path. Mm-hmm. So there is still a message, but it's just not the hey, let's focus on racial issues message, which, like Joel says, is super uh, refreshing. Yeah, and it and some of the best scenes in this, I think, were with um. Uh, I just forgot his name. The dad. John Amos. I thought his his stuff was hilarious. Like when he was telling Akeem to you know keep the glasses full when he's talking to him. When I think John Amos is just hilarious all around. You know. Well, when like, he, oh, when he no. brings out the hors d'oeuvres, I just put some hors d'oeuvres in the oven. Now they're frozen, but you couldn't even tell it. And then the thing is, like, this sounds kind of I don't say it sounds terrible, but listening to him and talking like that, I kind of heard my father. Because he's this, with you know, he's he's just this very outgoing, charismatic, you know, friendly dude. Or like but, when Akeem comes in his office and he's like, "Let me give you a little bit of advice: stay off the drugs." Yes. Okay. When he was looking at the McDonald's operation manual, I lost it. I'd forgotten about that scene. Yeah. Now, no. here's my question: How did they get? How did McDonald's let this fly? Okay, I have an answer for you. Oh, good. Part of my deep dive. Uh, They actually got permission from McDonald's corporate to do all this in exchange just for a name check for McDonald's. Just as free advertising. They had written permission. Despite that, at their filming location, a local McDonald's franchisee saw the McDowell set and showed up with his lawyer threatening to sue the production. What? (laughs) I'm so glad you mentioned that because I've forgotten to mention that before. Talk about not getting the memo. Right. And McDonald's isn't known for being like forgiving for shit like that. Wow. That's yeah, they cool. They fiercely protect their trademark. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's, and you know what? I'm, I'm, it's kind of refreshing to have a company that even then was, was as, it's not the monolith of it that is today, which is ridiculous, but even back then it was huge for them to whoever was in charge at the time saying, yeah, we got a sense of humor about this. Right. We'll let it, we'll like let it they, fly. they still get advertising out of this. Like McDonald's has mentioned, they don't have to do any product placement. They're just like literally, okay, a parody of McDonald's that mentions our company give puts our name out there and we have to do nothing. Right. Well, yeah. And they never again, talk about mcdonald's in a negative light it's never like it's us against them he's just like oh yeah this is nothing like that yeah the the worst about it was when they came in and uh cleo's cleo mcdonald's in his office there's some people here to see you they're not from mcdonald's are they (laughs) yeah (laughs) but uh but no i mean that's that was that's actually some cool trivia i think i'm glad you dug that up josh yeah i i gotta look to see because there's more uh, about that situation coming back for the now and uh i'm looking in the trivia to see okay yeah i'll be coming back to this remind (laughs) me to come back to this topic uh when we uh do trivia for the now because there's more about mcdonald's uh for coming to america too beyond what's obvious and yeah i mean i i don't want to i feel this is going to be another situation like joel has pointed out this is uh where we all love the movie remember that one time yeah, we don't want to do a rumor that one time. Um, what else do you pick up on the on the deep dive, Josh? Got anything else cool? Probably. Okay. 
<laughs> I'll have to remember. We can do, since we uh, all do love this movie, we can uh, run down, see if anyone has a favorite scene. Yeah. Pat, what's your favorite scene? I'd have to think about it. Not prepared for questions. <laughs> I'm not at all prepared for that. No, as soon as you said that, I'm, that's a great question, and that was as far as I got. One of Pat's favorite movies, and he has no idea what's his favorite scene. I should ask Patrick what his favorite scene is. Now I'm going to be I'm thinking about it now, too. Sorry, well, I can tell you right now, mine, anything anything involving the barbershop. Okay. That just the way those guys riff off each other, um, Eddie Murphy doing the little Jewish guy, and all the way to the very end with the t- with the joke about the soup, with right? The, uh, uh, <laughs> and what is that velvet? You know, it's <laughs> it's. I mean, they're hamming it up, they're chewing the scenery, but there are these overblown personalities that have been hanging around. I mean, they hit that perfect note with that with that bit so well that again, Josh, when you had mentioned you didn't realize how good of a movie this was when we started watching it, or maybe it was Joel that said it, but... Joel, yeah. Yeah. I, again, I notice when I laugh out loud at a comedy nowadays. And I laughed out loud multiple times. I really enjoyed that, and the, I looked forward to... Every time I saw him walking to the barbershop, I was, like, excited. All right, here we go again. So, the barbershop guys are my favorite scenes. The, uh, the this, is, <laughs> this is a similarly easy question for me to answer. Uh, the montage of all of the girls at the bar that are uh, like not not the one. Yes, from Peaches and Sugar to uh, Arsenio Hall in drag. Like we see this sort of thing, the like interview for a job comedy montage, and you rarely see it done as well as that scene in Coming to America. So. Yeah, that's my favorite. See me. Is it me? Or does every woman in Queens have emotional issues? Uh, for me, I think it's the, the McDonald's scene with Samuel L. Jackson. Because, you know, the scene itself is, you know, you got a little bit of tension. You kind of see the true character of Eric LaSalle. You get to see uh, kind of um, uh, Hakeem, Hakeem kind of come into his own and be a little badass. And then uh, right as you think the scene is over, you get the one last joke where he's the uh, John Amos is like, that's the fifth time this month. He's tried to rob us or whatever. Uh, And it's, it's just a a well-written scene. Mm -hmm. And I would have to go with Randy Watson and sexual chocolate. (laughs) I'm trying to come up with a scene. I like more than that one. And I, I just can't. I believe the children are our future. You know, the best part of those scenes, though, is is sweet. Because he's just so enamored with him. He's like, this guy's good. <laughs> yeah, good and terrible. <laughs> what is wrong with you? And the makeup I, for Randy Johnson I, I, I is really good. Back then. <laughs> like, uh, in general, when you learn to look for Watson. it, uh, you can tell that Randy Watson is... Uh, Sorry, all the other characters, you could see Eddie Murphy. I actually, like, even though I knew it was him, I thought the makeup was super good. He looked like a different person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Randy Watson, sexual chocolate. Get a round of applause. <clears throat> How everyone was just, like, done with him. <laughs> that was good. Good and terrible. 
Well, all right. Just, I mean, I just, I just love that whole. It's just so great. You may remember him from the "What's Going Down" episode of "That's My Mama." Oh yeah, <laughs> that's my mama. When he played Officer Officer Joe, <laughs> Mister Randy Watson. Then, thank you very much. Get, thank, you, thank you very much. Thank, you got to get that. Ah, Randy Watson. Watson. Ah. <laughs> Yeah, he was creepy as hell. Uh, All right, so are we ready to go to the break so we can talk about uh, now? Yeah, I think we are. Yeah, I think so. So, yeah, so we're going to take a little bit of a break. We'll be back and we're going to talk to 2021's Coming to America uh, with the number two in the middle. Otherwise, that would sound, that would be ridiculous. So literally two weeks ago, from when this show will post, Coming to America, the sequel, popped on Amazon Prime and is currently, I think Joel just said, it's the number one movie in America right now. That's what it says on the IMDb's. And the internet has never lied. Internet has never been incorrect about something like this. They're just like, everybody's in their house. How are they going to check? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Nobody's going to look at this. I just went to the thing. Oh, the thing. Movie. Yeah, that's what they're saying. But Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how what metric they're using, considering it's a streaming rights yeah. thing. But okay. Yeah, it's number one movie. Sure, <laughs> we'll run with that. Yeah, why not? The African monarch Akeem learns that he has a long-lost bastard son. Bastard. In the United States and must return to America to meet this unexpected heir and build a relationship. Like when they finally get, yes, they know. Stop saying that. Um, This is directed by Craig Brewer, who you may know from such classics as Black Snake Moan and Hustle and Flow. And he directed another movie we did a show on, Dolomite Is My Name. Yes. Oh, he did. I I totally forgot that. As soon as I finished watching this, my first thing I thought is I was like, that was really similar in a lot of ways to Dolomite Is My Name. And then I saw who directed it, and I was like, oh, okay, now I get it. He also directed uh, 2016's TV movie, Urban Cowboy. There was a TV movie of Urban Cowboy? Starring Edward James Olmos and Jim Belushi. Uh, We're not doing that show, right? That sounds awful. I mean, I like Edward James Olmos. But Jim Belushi? Awful with a capital ugh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> also, writing credits going back to Eddie Murphy again. We got Barry Blaustein and David Sheffield. A few more people in this. We have Justin Justin Canoe Keno <laughs> Justin Canoe. <laughs> and in the picture, he's in a in his IMTV picture. He's in a canoe. <laughs> I'm not joking. He literally. I is. believe you. Yep. Uh, he is a producer for uh, Welcome to the Jungle, Man Without a Face, writer for this and something called Adam and Eve from 2005. Oh, a National Lampoon movie. Oh. Huh. Hmm. Oh, and it was directed by Jeff Canoe and written by Justin Canoe. <laughs> no no canoe is good canoe without Gary Canoe. And uh, adding, also adding on to the writing is Kenya Barnes, um, who also uh, was writer on the TV show Blackish, Grownish. And hashtag Black AF. That's on Netflix. Yeah, I watched uh, a bit of Gronish and enjoyed what I saw. 
Okay. Have to throw that on there. Starring Eddie Murphy coming back as not only Prince Akeem, but also Clarence, Saul, and Randy Watson. Arsenio Hall also back as Semi, Morris, Reverend Brown, and newly added Baba. A.K.A. Rafiki. Rafiki? He reminded me of Rafiki from The Lion King. Oh, yeah, he did. Oh, we have Jermaine Fowler, because Lavelle Johnson, Leslie Jones, Mary Johnson, Tracy Morgan uh, as Uncle Reem, which I thought he was hilarious. Yeah, they originally wanted Tracy Morgan to play Lavelle, and just the ages didn't work, and Eddie wanted him in the movie. He's like, he's funny. We'll figure something out. We'll write him a character. That's cool. I'm glad they kept him in there. Yeah, it worked. Uh, Wesley Snipes as General Izzy. Num- so this makes this makes sense again because of the connection to uh, My Name is Dolomite. Okay. Because, yeah, you've got sort of a part of that crew coming back to do this one. Same director. He was in that, of course. Rounding up the guys to do a show. Mm-hmm. Also, we've got Numzambo Mataba as Marembe. Yeah. A love interest for Lavelle. Kiki Lane as Mika. Sherry Headley as Lisa. Ashley Love as Tinashe. Mm-hmm. Tanya Taylor as Bopoto. James Earl Jones at 88 years old, coming back as King Jeffy Jofer. And uh, Eddie Murphy is the same age as James Earl Jones was in the first one. Really? Yes. When James Earl Jones was uh, told that this uh, movie was happening, uh, he did the math in his head and started laughing. That's funny. When he got the call, he thought it was hilarious that they were doing it at this time and place. That's kind of awesome. Uh, John Amos coming back as Cleo McDowell, Paul Bates as Oha coming back and still sounding damn good. Morgan Freeman as Morgan Freeman, Louis Anderson coming back as Maurice. And I feel terrible saying this, but I thought Louis Anderson was dead. Ah, just his career. Aw. And then I realized who I, I don't was... think his acting was that bad. <laughs> he was, he did a good job. You know who I think I was thinking of was the comedian that did the um, the Chinese buffet bit. Oh, oh yeah, Ralphie yeah, yeah. May. Wrong. Yeah, Ralphie he's May? dead. No, <clears throat> Buddy it Hackett is, is dead. Yes, Buddy Hackett is dead. But that's not. Is Ralphie May dead? It's a, he was the guy who got mugged in the last episode of Seinfeld. Yeah, uh, yeah Ralph, Ralphie, Ralphie May, May uh, okay. died in twenty seventeen. You're right. Okay, that's who I thought. I I got Louis Anderson and him confused. Uh, Trevor Noah as the news reporter Totazzi Bibiana from ZNN. ZNN. And I, Lun- I love that James Earl Jones even recorded the ZNN. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lunell as Livia. Who is also in Dolomite is my name. Mm-hmm. Rick Ross as next Dorian commander and John Legend at the very end as John Legend. Okay. Stick- uh, we ran past <laughs> Rick Ross. I-, I left him in there for a specific reason. Okay. Tell me about Rick Ross. Uh, the palace was Rick Ross's house, his actual house. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that was the deal. Is like In order to get such an opulent thing that looked like an African palace, they just went to Rick Ross's house, and the table, the dinner table they uh, made, they left for Rick Ross as a gift, and thanks for letting them use his house, and they uh, repainted, one, uh, re-wallpapered one of his rooms, and he liked it so much he kept it. Huh. But yeah, they had to do very little change to his mansion to make it look that way. 
A mansion that many people have seen in many different hip hop videos. Yeah. That's that's crazy. So yeah, I thought that was super fun trivia, and once I saw it wasn't in our trivia, I wanted to leave him in the cast list so we could talk about that. Excellent. That's awesome. That's a hell of a house too. Right? It's a hell of a life you're living if you're living in a house that could be used as a double for a king. Uh, also, James Earl Jones, as I said before, was 88 years old when he filmed his scenes. Although in reasonably good health for a man of his age, he's happy to appear in this movie. Uh, James did not want to travel far to do so. It is believed that the few scenes that he was in were shot on one day in a rented TV soundstage nearer to uh, home state of New York, Connecticut border. Uh, without Eddie Murphy or any of the other Atlanta-based cast members present. This explains why Eddie Murphy and James Earl Jones never talk face-to-face in one frame of the film, which I did not notice. I didn't either. It was clever editing. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say it's a sign of good editing, because I didn't notice either. Yeah. It's kind of like in Heat. By Fabergé. Eddie Murphy, daughter Bella Murphy, plays Akeem's middle daughter, Oma. Uh, yeah, I left her off the cast list so we wouldn't spoil that. Yeah, she was the one with the glasses. Nice. A uh, cameo appearance was written for Samuel Jackson's character from the first movie, where he would still be robbing the old McDowell's restaurant 30 years later. But due to his busy schedule, Jackson wasn't able to appear. That's a bummer. That's kind of like I was saying pre-show that I wished uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. would have been in the chair when uh, they came when back to back. the barbershop. But that would have been nice if Sam Jackson would have showed up, too. And well, funny. In exchange, they got everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> aside from the people who had died. I mean, uh, there's a reason why the old queen, uh, they decided not to recast because uh, the actress, uh, Madge Sinclair, died of cancer in like 97. Oh, yeah. She died. Really? uh, It's unfortunate because I was looking it up. I'm like, why is she not in this movie? She was fairly young at the time, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh And then I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. But uh, moving on as a child. Jermaine Fowler Lavelle would record coming to America's barbershop scenes to his family's answering machine so the old men's banter would be heard anytime somebody called their house. <laughs> but in a little kid's voice. <laughs> or wait, no, he would oh he would record. Yeah, he would, it, he like, would record it, like hold it up to the TV. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was just said, recording the lines. <laughs> that would have been funny too. Uh James was as we said, he does the voice for CNN. This is CNN, and he also does ZNN for this movie too. So Yeah, Laura caught that and I was like, Really? I didn't even catch it. Yeah. Uh and also mentioned Eric LaSalle, who played Daryl in the original movie, was not in this one because he uh uh is very busy doing directing duties for Chicago PD, started in twenty fourteen and is still running and is filmed on location in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Nice. The one reason I kind of wish there was a little bit more here or there was some more backstory, I, I'm curious what they would have done with his character, you know, because he owned Soul or was heir to Soul Glow. Yeah. And, you know, kind of got left behind at the end of the film. And I kind of wondered what happened to him. He got well, hooked up with her sister. Yeah. And the Soul Glow thing, like you can see Soul Glow signs, but I think they backed off of Jerry Girl jokes for this movie. Maybe just they felt like it wasn't relevant anymore because that's not really something that you see. Yeah. They did have it in, like in posters. And when, when it went to the barbershop, there was a bottle of Soul Glow sitting on the counter. Mm-hmm. It kind of makes me wonder, though, if if that's just kind of a sign that things didn't change, even though there was a gentrification of the rest of the area that barbershop never changed and they still had that poster up regardless of if the product was even still made. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Oh, posters. This is a good point for me to circle back to the McDonald's thing that I promised you guys in the trivia. Yeah. Uh, in the original movie, they talked about the biggest difference between the Big Mac and the signature sandwich for McDowell's was that he doesn't use seeds on his buns. No sesame yeah. seeds. There is a poster in Coming to America, the sequel, for McDonald's saying the real Big Mac with seeds. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. That. <laughs> yeah, I missed that too. That is hilarious. So yeah, McDonald's continued to get good quality name check advertising off their decision in the eighties. See, and I'm glad they kept up with it. They put that they put that with toppings on the top. We put our toppings on the bottom. Completely different. Uh the last uh trivia on this one is Colin Joss character is a grand nephew of the Duke brothers who are the antagonists in Trading Places, and also the homeless duo that Akeem gave the money to that we talked about in the first half. Both were John Landis films. Which that was a nice uh, bookend to their story, because the money that he gave them allowed them to come back, as they said they would. Right. And I was thinking when he went to that interview, I was like, man, it doesn't matter that he's a prince to an African kingdom. If he gets a lawyer after this interview, he is going to have all the money from this place. Right. What and the heck? That is that is your uh, that little plot line there and how it figures into his journey as a character it is the only time really that this movie returns to sort of racial issues in America. And I think it was handled with a light touch. Uh, I, I was it was an important part of character development. Didn't feel pa- uh, like packed in there, tacked on or anything. Yeah, I was pretty, pretty pleased with this. And this movie has been uh, taking kind of a beating in the ratings. Really? Yeah, it's, uh, you look at IMDb, I think it's in the fours or fives. Um, when I said that I was doing the show to a coworker, I was like, I, I didn't like it. I didn't think it was very good. It was just a bunch of cameos, which isn't entirely wrong, but... I don't know. Maybe my expectations were set low because I saw the reviews and I was told it wasn't good. But spoiler alert, I I really liked this, even though it was super different. Like, if you walked into this expecting a John Landis comedy, that's not what you're getting. Uh, Coming to America, Rotten Tomatoes, 50% critic, 42% audience. Really? This one, the sequel, yeah. Huh. Yeah, And it blows my mind that it's that low. Because it's not as good as the first one, but I still enjoy the hell out of it. But let's get into it. Yeah. Well, there um, definitely was a tonal shift in the films. Uh, the This one was a lot faster paced and a little bit more almost cartoony in its in its tone versus the original, which was a little bit more, I don't want to say reality based, but and a little bit slower down. Like it took its time to get to the end. Well, <clears throat> in the first movie, the over the top characters were limited to cameos, whereas in this one, they're the entire side of that family were over the top characters. And I think if you are a Leslie Jones fan and I am, uh, you're going to, that's going to bump you up a little bit. I will admit I am not a Leslie Jones fan. I've never really liked her in anything, but I liked her a lot in this. She made me laugh. A lot. This was the first thing I've seen her in that. I was like, I really, I enjoyed her. Yeah. She killed it in every scene. I had a little bit of a problem with her storyline though, because it, watching the movies back to back, you know, we watched both of them last night. Uh, after they left the bar where that would have happened, they go back and then they go, they meet up with uh, Saul or no, the no, the, not Saul, not Saul, uh, owner of the barbershop. I 
forget what his uh, name Clarence. Is. Clarence. And he invites him to go to the beauty pageant at the church. So I was like, there's a little bit of continuity there. Unless I there's, yeah, a little bit. So, but they did a hell of a job with the de-aging technology. Mm, did they? I thought they did. I mean, you could tell it was not the original footage. I think it was obvious only because we knew what was going on. I don't. I think if you like watched this movie and didn't know that that was a special effect, you would probably think like if you hadn't watched the original movie, you'd think it was a clip. I would I think say it would it's, pass. It's definitely better than like Tron Legacy, and I would even say it was better than like Rogue One. Maybe not to the level of the de aging technology mm-hmm. that we've seen in some of the MCU stuff, which or, is or the Terminator senior. movie. Yeah, that one. That was really good. The way they did it in Terminator. For sure, for sure. But I would say this is middle of the pack when it comes to computer-assisted de-aging. Neither good nor uh, neither super good nor incredibly bad. I thought it was better than the scenes with the lions. I think the biggest problem with it was that the film grade was different. Like this, like the you could tell on the original footage that it was you know shot on film and it was grainy. And even though it was cleaned up, it was a lot crisper and cleaner. And so it kind of was a little. There was a difference there, in my opinion. But or, or, picking it you know uh i don't know if it's tasteless or not but the fact that we got into general izzy and the whole child soldiers nation in the, of next doria uh i thought his character was a delight to watch and we actually finally get some consequences for the payoff from the original film where he like blows off this military dictator next door doesn't marry the mm-hmm. daughter and nothing happens yeah, that was actually my question. I mean, because they kind of did at the end of the first one, did the uh, daughter, wasn't she kind of looking like they were going to hook her up with um, Simi at the end? Uh, no, I think Simi was looking at the uh, lady in waiting. Oh, okay. That's probably why I mistook her when I put the, the stuff together. Um, okay, you know, that is, and that's something that I had a question about, like sitting and talking to Suzanne afterwards. I'm like, what about this girl who her whole life, has been, you're going to marry this person. I was like, this poor thing is probably having a nervous breakdown the whole time he's in New, in uh, New York. Because, yeah, your whole life is suddenly shot to shit. Well, yeah, everything, you know, the whole your whole purpose has been blown off. Could make a hell of, hell of a D&D backstory, though. And they made that point that, like, that is not what either prince wanted, is someone whose whole identity was just like, whatever you want is what I want. Yeah. Which, to be honest, I got to agree with that, you know? Yeah, and we got the reverse fish-out-of-water story, uh, which I thought was a fresh take on it. Like, it wasn't groundbreaking, but I I liked seeing it from the other angle. Speaking of Prince, uh, you don't exactly see the song Get Up putting too many movies off that often. (laughs) That was pretty damn good. Did anybody feel like it was a little hindered by being PG-13? Yeah. Maybe a little. I mean, you know, it's it, there's something about the original that with the cursing and the nudity, uh, it works in the context of the film. And here it felt like they were trying to hit a slightly younger audience. And I felt like as strange as it may sound by negating those things, it kind of detracted a little bit like they were kind of trying to fit themselves in a box. I noticed a couple of times where it felt awkward, but I didn't really think it took away from anything. It just was like, OK, whatever. It wasn't a huge detriment. Like when he said the MF and I'm the MF and King or whatever. Yeah, that's a little awkward. Yeah. Although the spectacle, they went in a different direction. I feel like the the biggest scenes 
were probably the uh, funeral and then the, uh, of course, the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you've got another little variety show bit when uh, you've got the presentation of Maboto and the introduction of Lavelle to Zamundan society. Like, there are there are three distinct variety show bits, which kind of comes back to the Dolomite is my name thing. Because those are going to anchor things almost more than anything else, where you've got performers coming out over and over. They'll do a song. People will do a dance. Make it a love. You know, get down to that. My, my thought on the whole rating thing. In 1988, nobody would have gone to see a Eddie Murphy movie that was rated PG-13. I, don't, I think the reason that they did that was that it was our back then. It's because everybody was expecting it. That was what Eddie Murphy was. In 1988, dropping the F-bombs, of course, humor and all that. Since that and being the donkey and all that other stuff, <laughs> you know, I mean, he's mellowed a bit. Well, and you're seeing that even with horror films now where they're backing off a hard R because they want PG-13 because they want to expand their potential audience. It's a sort of shitty by the numbers corporate decision it's like let's get the largest audience possible by dropping a little bit of gore and uh all of the swearing and some boobs we're seeing that more in the remakes and i think that we're looking at a movie that was horror movie when we were kids growing up we went to go see it they make a remake of it now we have kids and the kids from our generation could be anywhere from 12 to 21, you know, whoever, whatever range there are of Gen X or children nowadays. And they want to, like you said, they want to cash in on it to have movies that we can go, oh my God, I saw this when I was a kid. We have to watch it together. I mean, you're not wrong, but it's my point is it's not limited to the remakes. It's started to infect sci-fi, especially horror and action films where stuff that would have been super gory with over the top special effects, maybe a nude scene, some swearing and like hardcore violence is specifically corporately sanitized to hit that PG 13 target specifically to widen the audience space. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. It is hit or miss, but I, I'm a, I agree with you on that, Josh, that I don't, it's happening. I don't have to like it. Mm hmm. That's why it was big news that Deadpool was rated R. Oh, yeah. And also probably big news on why it did so well. I think it surprised some people. Uh, By the way, real quick, uh, Rotten Tomatoes for the original 71% critic, 85% uh, audience. Hmm. That seems about right. Like critics underrating this movie back in the day. I uh, coming into this was a little nervous, but I I have to agree with what you guys said earlier as I I was. I was pleasantly surprised. I I enjoyed this film. It wasn't the same film, but it was a it was a good follow up. It was a solid follow up for sure. And there were lots of little details that were appreciated. Uh, like uh, there's obviously love for the original because there are things that someone who just like took a vague swipe at making a sequel would have missed. Just lots of tiny tiny little things that uh, showed that they really thought about okay, this character, where are we going to put them? Uh, hey, can we get everybody back who's still alive? Even to the point where you've got Peaches and Sugar showing up again at the end. Right. Mm-hmm. That was funny. And then they did the same take on it, too. That was the same blank look from uh, Eddie Murphy and, uh, and him. Uh, I, I'm with you on this. I really enjoyed it. And I, I think I, I'm following you on this one because, like you had said, the McDonald's poster, We Have Seeds, 
you know, that's someone who paid attention to the original movie. That's someone who watched the original movie and liked the original movie. So, Pat, is this going to be a clean sweep, one of the rare thumbs up all around, or did you have some problems with this? No, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's definitely a thumbs up for me, spoiler alert. Yeah, I, I, I know that it kind of ruins the end of the show, but like, I think it's obvious so long as we all get our, our swings in at this. Yeah, I mean, I was a little bit trepidatious going in, um, but I had heard from enough people that it was good, and there were a few people that said it was bad. So knowing that some people were saying it was bad made the people that said it was good gave them a little more credit because it wasn't like everybody was just jumping on the bandwagon. So I mm-hmm. went into it with a, with kind of a medium expectation, and I think it exceeded it. Yeah, you were the one I was a little nervous about just because I know <clears throat> how much you like the original. Um that I was like, uh, I wonder what Pat's gonna think. That's kind of was um, in the back of my brain the whole time. The the main my main like nitpick on it was really uh, I didn't like the characterization of Akeem as like this soft wimpy guy all of a sudden. I was like, in the first movie, he was very self sufficient and you know athletic and tough, and he took down the the robber and all this kind of stuff. And then suddenly, all in this one, all they wanted to talk about was just how soft he is. And I'm like, well, I, I didn't care for that. Well, and he did put on some weight for this, and I, that's the thing. Is Simi also was less of a badass than got myself. I mean, yeah, I could 100% buy that excuse if they hadn't just spent a five-minute scene of him fighting his daughters one-on-three and pretty much keeping even with them. That's fair. Well, but there's also the whole thing about, you know, you become your parents. And <clears throat> in a lot of ways, he had become his father, even though he had fought so hard against it when he was younger. It was inevitable that, you know, over time he was going to kind of fall into that that uh, that groove or whatever you want to call it. He realized it and altered course by the end of the film, but he uh, he had to go through that process first. And I thought it was kind of impressive that they managed to pull off a character journey for both Prince Akeem <laughs> and Prince Lavelle for both of them without giving either of them short shrift. Yeah, they didn't they didn't cut back. They had. I know Patrick had a nitpick, and I have one minor one as well. It's something I can forgive because of the sort of movie it is. But you've got General Izzy, and they make a big deal of Wesley Snipes' character, like the whole reason for uh, Akeem's journey to America is that he's going to be assassinated by the violent and backwards neighbor, who is beaten up with like four guys with three girls with sticks and Simi, and then basically everything's okay. Like he forgets he's got guys with guns. Yeah, I was wondering about that too. It, it is a minor nitpick, and obviously we're not going to get into the horrors of African child soldiers and torture and diplomacy to resolve the movie. But it is weird that there's this discordant. He's set up to be this big threat, and you beat up him and about four dudes with sticks, and everything's okay. That that's my just tiny tiny little story nitpick. It's also called the Night King. The Night King. Oh yeah, oh, Night King. Jesus. Oh. <laughs> um, one of the other things that if you want a minor nitpick it is uh the the fact that they were flying back and forth from America a shit ton, and I looked it up. It's a twelve hour flight from New York to Africa, and uh, there'd be some hella jet lag going on. But you know, I guess I could sleep on the plane. And they got a week. Like, it's fine. I guess you lose two days to the flights back and forth to America. And then Mm -hmm. another day and a half uh, of jet lag. Yeah, it's tight. But the timeline, 
doesn't not work. It's not like a no. continuity glitch. No, it just it was just kind of like, wow, they're really going back and forth a lot to some place that's across the other side. <laughs> sure. You know, it's not like they're just driving from Queens to Brooklyn or something. But that's kind of how it felt a little bit. Uh, but that's, you know, minor, a minor thing. I thought it was kind of cool, the the like minor nod, because this being made after Black Panther, there were a couple of mentions of Wakanda, and uh, it was kind of cool that uh, Lavelle's haircut was very, very similar. Yes, it was. Yeah. He had he had the Black Panther do. Well, it wasn't Black Panther's. It was the uh, the guy who came, uh, I'm blanking on the villain. Um, Killmonger. Killmonger. He had Killmonger's haircut. Because, yeah, uh, Black Panther's haircut is pretty... Like clean, but he had the, it was uh, from that movie. Okay, that's that's and what I, I that that's cool. that's what I meant. I couldn't tell you which which character had it. That's I just, Michael B. Jordan. Thank you, Joel. Yeah, that's why we keep you. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's because I like to rub that shiny bald head of yours. I'm you just know. glad no one's talking about each other's mouth anymore. That's... I had forgotten about that. Thanks for reminding me. Gotta note that for next week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn it. So we got anything more on this one? Because, you know, I hate to have the show. I, I was actually talking upstairs on the break. And, this, you know, it's a show where we all like the movies. And we don't want, again, to break it down to remember that scene. Well, since we've already kind of spoiled the uh, thumbs up, thumbs down with what we did in the first half again, uh, let's uh, put Patrick on the spot and have him not know what his favorite scene was. Patrick. <laughs> I hate you guys. Um... Perfect. <laughs> Come back to you again? Yeah. <laughs> uh I I can go. Uh for me it was all about uh the funeral for the old king. Like that that is the biggest of the variety show bits and uh they were my favorite parts of the movie. And since that was the one that was most studded with cameos, though I did later appreciate the Dikembe Mutombo cameo, which was Oh the yeah. Which explains uh, why I've been seeing that commercial showing up all the time now. But yeah, yeah definitely the funeral f- from beginning to end. Just all of the surprising cameos, the great numbers, the dancing, the singing. I loved it. Joel, how about you? Uh, I was trying to think of something in particular that uh, that hit me. But uh, it, any of the scenes with Tracy Jordan or possibly the scene where he comes in and he's talking to his mom about getting bathed. And, you know, she's telling the guy him, comes up from thing. under the water. Yeah. And then he comes up and he's like, you're clean. And she's like, go around one more time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I my favorite scene was actually the one that made me laugh the most, probably in the post credits. I don't know if that counts. Oh, but... when he comes back and does a signifying monkey bit of Saul. No, no. When um, no. Oh. When he goes. I got the I got the whiskers. They're from a lion. No. <laughs> and Eddie Murphy's like, "That's my thing." Yeah, that I thought was pretty. The outtake. Yeah, yeah. brush it off. Dog shit on it. It's like sprinkles. Patrick, I would go with the scene when Lisa was drunk and she was giving him the dressing down and calling him out on all bullshit. <laughs> and then she kicks him out of his bedroom. And he's like, "You really think you're gonna kick me out of my bedroom?" <laughs> <laughs> she does. <laughs> He aged really well. Like, she was gorgeous back in the day, but she definitely aged very gracefully. I, I hate to even say that because it sounds like a super sexist thing, but I it was something I noticed. No, I mean, I don't think it's because you have 
I don't think you're. I don't think you're saying anything sexist, Josh, because there are some people that age gracefully and they step into it. And then there's people like Kenny Rogers. I get who, it, and it's not necessarily always a male versus uh, female thing, but like it, I do think that people focus on. Uh, the physical appearance with aging with women more. So I do feel a little weird saying it, but I, I don't know. Like, it was something that definitely stood out to me, how uh, how she looked after all these years, 30 years. Yeah, well, I know. I agree with you. Like, when I saw it, I was like, she looks really good. Well, you know, Eddie, Eddie Murphy aged pretty well, too, you know, if you want to mm-hmm. yeah. even up the score. I mean, even James Earl Jones, 80, I mean, dude's two years off in 90. He looks pretty damn good, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but uh, I guess we spoiled it with the thumbs up, thumbs down on that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. Joel. Yo. What's on the list? Uh, we're going to be talking about sleeping and dreams. Yeah. I'm going to take a nap. Uh, the road trip movie show and by popular demand, Punky Brewster. You say that. Popular demand as if there's anyone at all demanding that. Uh, I bet other you. Than, other than Joel. No. I bet you Nikki from New Zealand's in my corner on this one. All right. Well, if you're demanding a Punky Brewster show or you have your own thoughts about coming to America or anything else we talk about on the show, let us know. Give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Yep. And I said before, if you'd like to uh, hear some of our older stuff, we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music. We are all over the place. Uh, also, I wanted to stop in there if you want to help support the uh support the podcast on our homepage, 40go14.com. You can also see a link to our coffee donations. You can buy us a coffee and help uh, pay some of the server costs and that sort of thing. And uh, just uh, say we really appreciate it when you do it. And thank you for listening. Your cool mouth. I want to be friends with your mouth. (laughs) What? (laughs) Can we be mouth friends? (laughs) Stop that. I miss your musk. I love that line. Mm -hmm. You got me with that one name.